It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Hamish Bidwell joins us. No doubt he'll know. He's probably still got his... uh, his Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch t-shirt somewhere. G'day, Hamish. How you doing? I preferred your rant uh, over a bit of sad but true yesterday. It's a bit better than, uh, than Queen, but that's all right. That's Good right. work. That's all right. Thanks, mate. Thanks. I'm glad you appreciate uh, you appreciated the rant. Um, I, I tell you what, though. Oh, and the music. It was a double. It was a. It was a double whammy. Like you was, every word a gem and uh, and a great bit of music underneath. Yeah, well, yeah. It's sad but true. It was a fantastic song. Fantastic song. Can't can't deny that, mate. Uh, how much would you have loved to have been a fly on the wall in Mark Robinson's lounge on Saturday night at the final whistle? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's. I mean, yeah. So I was I was in lockdown. I watched the game on my own. I've, I've just come back from COVID. It's my first day out today. Ran a few errands and then had to go and have a nap for three hours. So I'm not, I'm not firing on all cylinders yet. But yeah, so I watched it on my own. My plucky little family were asleep and I just wanted to hoot and holler and, and share the great news with someone that this team had had an absolutely <laughs> shocking, embarrassing, appalling defeat. And, and, I, and I, yeah, I thought of those people. I thought of Foster. I thought of Robinson and... That thrilled me, and I've been really, I've been quite strong about some of these people for a few years now because I wanted people to see what they were like. Like I think people assume that if you ascend to management roles at NZR or you become the All Blacks coach, that there's a there's a level of implied competence there. There's a there's a there's a um, a leadership and a and a manner, I guess, about you as a person. And I knew those not to be true, and I just wanted people to see it. And so no matter what happens from here. People see these people for what they are. There's damage done to the reputation of that organisation. There's damage done to Ian Foster and the All Blacks. And they can win all the games they like, but people have seen them for what they are. And, and that, that that makes me happy. Well, it's interesting you mentioned about the damage they've done to the All Blacks. I mean, you know, we've not long ago had that Silver Lake deal signed and sealed. I mean, what damage to the share price of Silver Lake, I dare ask, uh, if they're throwing, well, not throwing all their eggs in this basket, but I mean, surely uh, reputational damage for for the All Blacks going forward next time they want to do one of these deals, it doesn't look good. Well, as far as I understand it, there's a guaranteed dividend that they have to pay to Silver Lake, and they're going to struggle to do that out of profits from the All Blacks. They're going to have to dip into their reserves, and that's, Silver Lake don't care, you know, they're, I spent lockdown last week watching um, Sopranos reruns, and they talk about having a shy business. I think it's short for Shylock. And so, like Silver Lake are a Shylock. They have given money to NZR, but you have to pay it back with interest. I think it's 9% per annum. Um, so, yeah, New Zealand rugby are going to have to pay that back, and they're not going to pay it back on the on the back of a well-performing side. No, mate, you get you get cheaper mortgages than that. Jeez, that's a, that's an extortionate rate, just quietly. Um well, it was all there on the PricewaterhouseCoopers report into the deal, which, I mean, people go, people see the money that Silver Lake have, have given, which they sort of regard as a donation, and they think, oh, egg on Silver Lake's face. No, egg on NZR's face. There's other ones who have to meet the repayments. 
And I mean, that was one of the things that I thought was interesting last week, that it was there was a made a bit of it too that the uh, game in Christchurch was the only test they're going to get this year wasn't sold out, um, and it didn't they didn't announce that it was sold out until I think the day of the game. Um, so that has to be a worry as well. I mean, Christchurch, they're about as died in the wall All Black supporters as you can get down there. I mean, I don't know if the game after uh, you know saying that Ian Foster's staying on and and Mark, uh, and Scott Robertson's not getting the job, taking it there may not have been the best uh, best timing, but I, I doubt it was in the plan that way. But I mean, if Christchurch people in Christchurch aren't coming out in a twenty thousand capacity stadium and and, and selling that out, that's got to be reflect poorly. They've got to be a bit worried about that. Well, look, my experience of covering rugby in Christchurch for a few years is that they're really discerning. You know, you won't see them in the Super Rugby semi-final, but they'll come out for a final. They they want to see the best against the best, and there's a reason why Argentina, and I don't want to disrespect in any fashion because they were worthy victors the other night, but there's a reason they historically played Napier, Nelson, New Plymouth, Hamilton, places like that, because they're places that don't get a diet of elite rugby. Canterbury does, and so they're a hard sell down there because they they don't, you know, they, they don't regard themselves as having to have, you know, second-tier nations come down and play test match rugby there. They actually want to see the best against the best and they feel entitled to it. So I don't think it was anything along the lines of an anti-Foster thing or um, a protest about New Zealand rugby. I just think that they, they're discerning and they need a good reason to go out to watch top-level rugby because they're not as starved of it as, as some provincial towns around the country. Yeah, no, that's a fair point as well. Actually, on that, um, I don't know if you've heard this, but Alan Quinlan, the former Irish lock, has come out and basically said, well, up in Ireland now, we're starting to wonder whether or not our series win actually means anything after seeing them lose to Argentina. I mean, does that make us as good as we think we are or not? Oh, no, they were outstanding. And... There's a cumulative effect coming on here, isn't it? And you can see that in the way the team played on Saturday night. Like there's a there's a lack of confidence, there's an indecision, there's a, a resignation to defeat. There wasn't there at the start of the season when they came out against Ireland with a comparative hiss and a roar. Um, now Ireland played magnificently, and the way that they beat them, as we talked about before, with guys running angles, uh, the ball in motion, just breaking the All Blacks' defence up at will in a way that New Zealand can't. I mean, we saw fair income. I don't know, you would have seen it probably, but the Wallabies in South Africa, you got James Slipper, Wallabies prop, like ball playing in a fashion that all blacks backs can't, you know, putting guys in holes, guys on angles, you know, the pass beating the man. Like, we don't seem capable of that. So I wouldn't want to diminish Ireland in any fashion because they got the, the all blacks at their comparative best this year and they did them. Yeah, I just, I just think it's interesting that the Irish are now saying, Oh, are we as good as we think we are? Because the All Blacks are obviously rubbish because they've just lost to Argentina. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just think that we're going to get a pile on about how bad the All Blacks are. And people, you know, that's, we come back to the thing about standing. Their standing is diminished with every week, with every loss, you know. And it's made worse by the frankly absurd things that Ian Foster comes out and says afterwards about, you know, tough. Test rugby's hard. We're trying. We're learning. You know, like people. And dumb. They saw the Pumas beat the All Blacks in exactly the same fashion two years ago, and that was meant to be a lesson. Well, it didn't seem much has been heeded. Um, they are utterly flummoxed. And, you know, Michael Checker has his critics and all that kind of stuff. I loved the, the, the picks or the, the shots from the Argentine box of them living every moment of the game, you know, and, and when something would happen, Checker would be on the walkie-talkie and he'd have some emphatic instructions. And they, 
and you, you, you contrast that contrast contrast that with the All Blacks, and Foster just looked confused, defeated, beaten. He had nothing to offer, no discernible, you know, personality or emotion. I know you don't want to be Craig Bellamy every minute of the day and then lose your shit, but like Ian Foster looks like a guy who has no idea what he's doing, doesn't mm. he? Yeah, no, he does. He does. Um, and it's interesting to say that. They didn't really learn anything from the loss in Sydney either. Uh, how worried is, uh, I, I'm going to use the term fan loosely, but as an All Blacks fan, Hamish, how worried are you about the retention of the Bledisloe? I don't care. I'd be happy for it to go. I want it to be as bad as it can get because, you know, we've, it's got a little bit bad this year and we and at various times we've thought it's been bad enough for today to make a change or to admit some fault. Uh, it hasn't occurred, you know. And, and it, like last week to me was sickening. Um, all the cheerleaders were out in force. They were uh, heralding the giant corner that had been turned after Ellis Park and they were eulogising Schmidt and Foster and Ryan and saying you can see their imprint all over the team. You know, there's a blueprint. This is so exciting, you know. And, and what did it amount to? It amounted to nothing. You know, that made me sick. So I... You know, if they win this week, we'll get more of the same. But what I want, really want, is loss after loss because mm-hmm. it's the only way to, to affect change. It's interesting you say that. I mean, because we saw the box, you mentioned them. Uh, I mean, they, they really uh, did not play well against the Wallabies. Uh, so they've now lost back-to-back games. And talking to people like Brendan Nell, they're not convinced. They don't think the, the, the Springboks team is very good. So... Um, yeah, I don't know what that says, um, but yeah, it's certainly a worry for the Southern Hemisphere only about a year out from a World Cup that that's what we're seeing uh, from rugby in this part I think you've got to pay the old Wallabies credit, particularly the last sort of 20 minutes of that first half. South Africa were camped on their line, looked like it could score at any moment. Like Australia were really manful, um, and they, they showed some enterprise in the way they played. Tactically, they were better than the All Blacks have been in terms of the way they kicked the ball, the way they um, tried to unlock the South African defence. Like, I don't... I think it's hard to judge the record because there are so many outside influences that affect who's picked in that team, who plays in that team. They're a team that rides on emotion a lot. Like they just when they'll be right when it matters because they're such they 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 work themselves up into a frenzy. You know they, they, they you always see guys crying during the anthem and that like they are an emotional team and they they ride that roller coaster and sometimes it's down. But I think when they have to get up, they'll get up. I don't. I don't have too many fears about them. I know Jacques Ninaba, their their nominal head coach, is a bit of a foster figure over there, and people don't rate him. And it's always been a roughness. He's been credited with the success of that team, and that's cool. But so there are problems for them off the park. But I think they have enough talent to get it right when they need to. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how the rest of the the rugby championship plays out. One thing that I don't think uh, has enough has been made of. Hamish, um, maybe it, it came up a little bit after uh, the weekend, but the All Blacks and the hooking position, I mean, obviously Summer Sony Tokiaha is our best hooker now. Cody Taylor is there on reputation. He's not playing well. Uh, he, he can't throw into a line-out. We learned that on Saturday night. And the third hooker in the team is a bloke who's going to be 37 by the time the World Cup rolls around. It doesn't feel like there's much forward planning. I mean, I'm I'm looking around and thinking, where's our Moa gone? I mean, he was the next best thing for a while. Where's Kurt Eklund? He was in the in the Maori team. Uh, where are you on where we're at at hooker? Yeah, Moa is, is out and out the second best option now, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that a little. So I was on the Ian Smith show this morning, and I was likening 
Like if we're going to try and have a glass half full, not even a glass half full, if we're going to try and offer an option or a solution for the team, then I think we've seen it in guys like Newell and Bauer and DeGroote and Lomax, um, that if you bring some youth into the team and, and, and dress areas where the team are deficient, where they relied on um, tried and true players, I think that's a, a clue to the future. So Laurie Maines had a pretty checkered run as All Blacks coach, a bit like Ian Foster. 92, 93, 94, the team didn't really fire a shot. They could play well occasionally, but it wasn't the norm. And they stumbled upon a formula for success at the Sydney Football Stadium in 1994. And what they did, though, they didn't just stumble upon a thing, oh, we could play this way. They actually said, right, if we're going to play this way, then we're going to have to get rid of a lot of the people we have. We're going to have to get different athletes, and we're going to have to coach them up. And they did it over an off-season. You know, it is achievable. And so guys like Mertens, Cronfeld, Osborne, Lomu, that weren't in the team, became staples of that team, and they built the style of rugby around those guys. And so Omar, for me, like like uh, like the Groot, is one of those guys that needs to come in there. And so I, I don't really want to see Perifeta play. I don't really want to see Tuibasa-Shek play, but I don't see what we have to lose at this point. So I think Foster needs to think about what New Zealand is good at. So they're trying to play the same way as the other teams, and physically they don't seem to be able to do it. They can't compete at the breakdown. Their line-out's shaky. Um, they can't penetrate in the back line. So devise a game plan and, and populate it with the athletes who can play something that suits New Zealand skills. And I would have thought that was up-tempo. I would have thought it was athletic. I wouldn't have thought it was trying to grind away up front like the other teams do and stymie us. Um, so you, that would be the... If they were going to look at a way to change things, that would be how I would do it. Mm, yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. It's an interesting one indeed. I see Amoa today has just uh, signed a new deal with Wellington Rugby. Uh, through to 2025, so at least we'll have some cattle around because, you know, the guys that were sort of threatening, uh, I guess, on the outsides, um, guys like Nathan Harris and Liam Coltman have, uh, are done, so uh, need that that next wave coming through and getting some stability and getting some opportunities. Um, do you... Like John Kerwin said, right, I heard him talk the other day, like, it's, it's time for Tupo Va'ai to have a game, it's time for Papali'i to have a game. Mm. Like, Jordan should play fullback. Let's give Severice a go, like... Do you want to play Roger and, and like Perifeta? God save him. He's not my favourite player. I don't rate him at all. But what was done to him on Saturday was shameful. That guy deserves a proper test match. And what's there to lose? Like they put the the first the so-called first stringers out for weeks on end, and they haven't really done the job. What have they got to lose? Like I, I honestly think it's time to try something different because it doesn't appear Foster's going to go. You see, on rugby, you're never going to be embarrassed enough to admit they've made a mistake. So the only thing left to change, because you've done the assistant coaches as well, is the players, and that's that's what I would do. Yeah, man, that's a fair call too, mate. That's a fair call. Hey, uh, before we let you go, uh, just to, to switch things around, uh, US Open tennis has started. I don't know how much of a tennis fan you are, but a lot of the talk, of course, is around it being Serena Williams' swan song. Have you, uh, have you caught much of that on the opening day? No, I don't. You know, there are questions around... How Serena Williams has achieved her longevity. Um, you know, there was a random drug test at her house and she locked herself in a panic room saying she thought it was burglars. Like, um, yeah, I, I'm not her biggest fan, but I have a great admiration for what she's done. Um, and I, I like it as someone like Tiger Woods, who's achieved a hell of a lot against great prejudice in a sport when we're, her face didn't really fit, certainly not to start with. So, you know, a great player, someone who'll be the benchmark, as I mentioned on the end show this morning, Jack Nicholas with his 18 majors, is, 
has the most for golf, but Tiger Woods is the benchmark in that sport for players. Now, Margaret Court has the most Grand Slam titles for women ahead of Serena Williams, but Serena is the benchmark in that sport for female players now. So she'll be remembered fondly. Um, she's done a lot in terms of getting equal prize money at events for, for tennis players in terms of generating the profile. You know, at different times in her career, female tennis has been more popular than men's, and that would have been unheard of uh, once upon a time. Um, you know, they, at Grand Slams, for instance, you would have ladies stay and men stay, and you would alternate. Um, but they had to stop that because no one wanted to watch women's players, so you would have the matches would alternate. Well, that changed, you know, because Williams was so popular and she was bringing along a generation of players with her that, that people wanted to watch. And so female tennis actually got a showcase rather than just being fitted in between the blokes' matches and get them out of the way. So she's she's an iconic figure in that sport, I think. You know, not the best behaved at times, but we even walked a mile in her shoes, not even close. Like, I don't know what sort of prejudice she's faced over the years, but, yeah, uh, a, a good ambassador overall for the sport and, and obviously a great champion. Yeah, very much so. Well said, Hamish. Good stuff, mate. Go well, and uh, we'll catch up with you again next week, eh? You too, mate. Keep well. Cheers. Uh, Hamish Bidwell there with us on Media Watch.